If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 4. We're continuing our series called Seeking Wisdom for Life, Seeking God's Wisdom for Life. And throughout the book of Proverbs, as it instructs us on the ways of wisdom, it frequently refers to the path that we are to walk as we are walking with wisdom. And I think this is a a helpful metaphor for us as we think about the Christian life and as we're reminded through our text today that God desires us to walk with wisdom. And if you're like me, you can probably think of a time or two in your life where you could have walked with a little more wisdom. I grew up in Alabama, um, but in 2011, I moved to Colorado and I lived there for a couple of years, and I still remember, I'd never been that far west before, I still remember arriving in Colorado and the first time that I ever saw the Rocky Mountains, just these beautiful snow-capped mountains, just a, an incredibly beautiful display of God's artistry, and some of those mountains are called 14ers, and 14ers are mountains that peak at 14,000 feet, and people that live out west enjoy hiking those for fun. Um, And I remember the first and last time that I hiked a 14er in Colorado. I had a group of friends that had invited me to go with them on this hike, and I knew that it would probably involve some sort of physical challenge for me, Um, you know, but, but I thought in my mind, you know, I'm a former college athlete. I was only five years removed from that. Um, I enjoyed being outdoors. I, I love being with people. I had hiked to King's Chair at Oak Mountain State Park a few times, so I already had mountaintop experience, if you will. And so I was ready for the challenge. And so I remember the, the morning that we hiked, driving out to these mountains that, that we were going to hike, and it was just a beautiful early morning, the sunrise coming up over those mountaintops. And again, just being in awe and I remember arriving in the parking lot just filled with excitement and anticipation for this hike that we were about to go on together as we gathered up our stuff and started on our journey. Now, I remember uh, not very long into our journey, uh, the feeling uh, or thinking to myself, you know, it would have been wise if I would have prepared a little bit more for this hike that we're about to go on. Uh, And that proved to be true for me. Uh, It wasn't too long after we started uh, that I slowly drifted to the back of the line on our hike. And as my friends, who were all Colorado natives, were laughing and cutting up and having a good time, I was just kind of in the back, quiet, trying to uh, stay breathing. And we continued along. About halfway up the mountain is when I got my first leg cramp. And that cramp would stay with me in my right leg for the duration of the trip. Uh, And at about 11,000 feet on the mountaintop was when both legs started to cramp. And every time both legs would cramp, it was to the point that I would have to sit down and uh, just wait it out. There was nothing I could do. And I can tell you from that experience, you don't really want to be the guy on a hike that's about 50 feet behind your group, and they continually are looking at you, turning around, talking to each other, turning around, looking at you, trying to decide if they should just leave you or maybe even talking about why did they bring you in the first place. But eventually, uh, through the course of several hours, uh, they, I told them to go ahead and, and they left. And eventually I did make it to the top of the mountain. But what I remember the most about it um, was that it was beautiful and it was worth it. But I spent a majority of our time on the summit just laying on a rock because I was in so much pain and I was so exhausted from the hike. 
And I think, thinking about that, uh, eventually, though I did make it to the top, I think clearly some wisdom should have told me that I should train a little bit more. Maybe I should have hydrated uh, at the very least, or maybe I should have chose better uh, hiking partners on that hike. And although that example didn't really have uh, significant consequences uh, for how my life would turn out, I definitely have some of those examples as well. And I think the reality for all of us is we are people who are constantly in need of wisdom, wisdom for life, not just for better pra- uh, hiking practices, but for everyday needs to larger life-altering ones, we need wisdom. Just a few examples of those. We need wisdom on uh, deciding things like what to eat, what to do with our free time, how to use our finances, wisdom for career choices, wisdom for uh, work stresses, wisdom for conflicts at work. We need wisdom to honor God with a gift of singleness that you may not have wanted. You need wisdom to honor God when you're thriving as a single adult. We need wisdom to navigate daily relationships with friends, with family. We need wisdom in dating, wisdom for marriage, wisdom for parenting, most importantly, wisdom to help us know and love God. One thing that we can all agree on is that we need wisdom, but not just any kind of wisdom, right? The wisdom that we need is life-sustaining, life-giving, lifelong wisdom. That's what we're after. And that's something that we won't find in a BuzzFeed article or in a self-help book or in an Instagram quote or, shockingly, even on Google, right? All of those things can be helpful to us, except maybe the Instagram post, but, but all those things can have help to us, but none of those things offer the kind of wisdom that we really need. We need wisdom from the source, uh, the original source. And what the book of Proverbs and what the Bible reveals to us is that the source of all wisdom is God, and that God's supply of wisdom is limitless, and that even better, God graciously and freely gives that to us. Week one of this series reminded us of that, right? Remember Proverbs uh, 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. And we see knowledge and wisdom and discipline being intermingled here and continually pointing us to God as the giver of all wisdom, which makes sense when we stop to think about who God really is, right? Think for a minute with me about a few of the ways that God is different than us. God is the creator of heavens and earth. He is the giver of life. God exists in all places at all times. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God has never encountered a situation where he didn't know what to do. God's never had to think about it. He's never had to pray about it. He's never had to let me get back to you next week about it. God knows all things. God is all wisdom. He is the only one who has the kind of wisdom that we are desperate for. And even better than that, he is offering it to us. What we see in Proverbs chapter 4 is that he doesn't just make it an option available to us. It's not like a buffet line where we get to pick and choose if we want to pursue wisdom. But he is calling us, his followers, to live a life of wisdom. God calls us to walk with wisdom for our good and for the glory of of his name. And so briefly in chapter 4 what we have are three mini lectures from the father to his son, from King Solomon being passed down 
to his son. They're divided into three sections, verses 1 through 9, verses 10 through 19, and then our text, verses 20 through 27. And each of them plays a unique role in guiding the son to a life of wisdom, but our text today gives special attention to the way in which a life of wisdom is lived out. And so follow along with me as I read Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly, and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path for your feet, and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from all evil. Last week, uh, my wife and I went and saw the new Lion King live-action movie, and I'll keep my personal opinions about the movie to myself, but as I'm reading this text, I'm reminded of the scene in The Lion King where Mufasa, the father, is, is with his son Simba, the young lion cub, and they're looking out over this massive cliff over all of the land, and he's having this wisdom moment where he's telling his son, one day, everything that the light touches is gonna, be, is gonna belong to you. Just a, a wisdom conversation with the father and the son. And here in our text, we see King Solomon passing down this wisdom in a similar kind of moment. The first two verses of our text, 20 and 21, sound familiar because they've been repeated in similar ways throughout the entire first four chapters uh, of the book of Proverbs. But just in chapter four alone, this is the third time that we see this exhortation to the son regarding the father's words as he instructs him on walking the path of wisdom. Look at verses one and two. He says, listen, sons, to a father's discipline and pay attention so that you may gain understanding from giving you good instruction. Look again at verses 10 and 11. Listen, my son, accept my words and you will live many years. I'm teaching you the way of wisdom. I'm guiding you on straight paths. Look at verse 20 and 21. That's our text today. My son... Pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my saying. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. So we shouldn't overlook this repetition. It's, it's not a glitch or a typo. It's there pointing us to something essential. It's pointing us to something that we need to know. And it's the first way that we walk with wisdom. We walk with wisdom when we cling to the Father's words. That's the first outline, or first point on your outline. We walk with wisdom when we cling to the Father's words. And the word cling is intentional here, even though the, the text doesn't use that word. And it's because over and over, the Father's call is specific in what the Son is to do with these words. Look again at the exhortations he uses in verses 20 and 21. Pay attention, listen closely, don't lose sight of them, keep them in your heart. These are words that are to be seen and heard and sought and treasured. And because, as verse 22 points out, these are words that are life. They give life and they give health 
to one's whole body. You know, one of the core convictions of our church is that we are a church that abides biblically, and it's because we believe the Bible is God's very own words that have been given to us. They've been given directly to us. So when Solomon is speaking to his son in Proverbs 4, God is also speaking to us. He is calling us to his word. He is telling us to cling to it because these are words that are life to those who find them. And that's why King David, who is Solomon's father, cries out in Psalm 119 to give me life according to your word. Because David already knew what the Apostle Paul was going to write, uh, the truth that the Apostle Paul was going to write about 900 years later in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Paul writes, all scripture is God-breathed, is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And our belief in the Bible as the word of God is the same reason that our first Roots and Reach initiative is to translate scripture for the Beloch because we want, our desire we, is for the wisdom of God, the, the news of the gospel, the transforming power of his word to be available to every nation, tongue, and tribe. We are walking with wisdom in this life when we cling to God's word. Not because it's going to give us every answer to every situation, but because it's pointing us to the source of all wisdom. So the question then becomes, how do we cling? I think there's a few ways given to us in these verses, uh, verses 20 through 22. First, we hear God's word. If we're going to cling, then we have to have something that we're clinging to, right? If we are going to listen closely and pay attention as the Father has exhorted, then we need to hear God's word. Reading the Bible is foundational to a walk, to walking with wisdom, listening to it, memorizing it, meditating on it, studying it. When we're doing that, we are gaining wisdom and we are loving God with our eyes and our ears and our minds. And oftentimes when we talk about the importance of hearing God's word, it can be something that, that may feel discouraging or overwhelming to us because if you're like me there are times where I'm doing good just to wake up in the morning and so much less to sit and be able to read three or four chapters and you know take in what it says but I would encourage you not to let that overwhelm or discourage you when we think about hearing from God's word the end goal of clinging to God's word is not for us to read it faster but for us to read it further for us to make it a way of life, for us to be transformed by it, for it to make us more like Christ, for it to help us walk with wisdom. We're talking about a lifelong endeavor. But hearing God's word isn't just an individual event. That's why when we gather corporately on Sundays, we are singing God's word. We are praying God's word. You are hearing God's word preached. It's why that we should value learning about it from others, with other families and small groups and multi-generational relationships. And think about the tradition of wisdom that's being passed down in chapter 4. When we go back to uh, verses 3 and 4, Solomon says, When I was a son with my father, tender and precious to my mother... He taught me and said, your heart must hold on to my words, keep my commands, and live. And so Solomon is recounting when his parents were passing down wisdom to him, and now he is turning around and passing down wisdom to his son. We need one another to help us hear and to cling to God's word. Another way you cling to God's word 
is when you remember God's word. When you remember God's word. Verse 21, the father instructs his son not just to hear his words, not just to listen closely to his words, not just to pay attention to his words, but he says, verse 21, don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. And there's an urging here to hold on to these words of truth, to keep them in front of you, to have them in your heart and mind and soul. Memorizing God's word is an important discipline for us to have, and, and it's what aids in storing his word in our heart. But memorizing is different than keeping it in the heart. Keeping it in the heart comes through treasuring and through believing what the word of God has said. My daughter Lila is, she'll be three pretty soon, and one of the things that um, Rachel, my wife, has been doing is just teaching her a few, or trying to teach her a few truths about who God is, and, and so we've just started teaching her a few little questions that we ask her, really simple, you know, we're driving and we see some trees, and we'll say, Lila, who made the trees? And she'll say, God, Lila, who made you? God, you know, Lila, who made this car? God, like those kinds of things. Um, and the other night, we were sitting at the table for dinner, and Rachel asked Lila, she said, Lila, who's the best daddy in the world? And Lila looked at Rachel, and then she looked at me, and she got the biggest smile on her face, and she said, God. <laughs> now, before uh, you think that my daughter's a genius, she really answered that way because she didn't understand the question. And we picked up on the fact that she has learned, like any good minister's kid, if she didn't know the answer to a question, there was a good chance of getting it right if she just said God. So um, she said God, and we just laughed and thought that was great. But she had, she had memorized that answer. Now, if you were to ask my wife or you were to ask me that same question, who is the greatest daddy in the world, we would answer it in the same way, right? We would say God is the greatest, but we would answer it with a completely different understanding. That truth isn't just something that, that we have memorized, although we did, but it's a truth that we have stored in our hearts. It's a truth that we know and we believe and we've experienced through God's care for us in some very hard days and God's care for us in some very good days. We've seen God to be an incredibly gracious and kind father to us through his word and through the gospel. So that's the difference there, and that's what we're thinking about when we're talking about clinging by remembering. And clinging also means that we trust God's word. You know, the promise offered to the son in verse 22 is that the wisdom of the father is going to bring life and health. We say that all over Proverbs, and we've talked about previously in this series that because we sin, because we live in a world broken by sin, the verses like verse 22 are not promises, but they're principles by which we live this life. You can, you can think about that, and I'm sure in a lot of situations, even in this faith family, there are many faithful Christians who have walked with wisdom, who have uh, left this earth early, or who have suffered from chronic health problems. And while that could potentially be discouraging to us, it could cause us to question the truthfulness of God's word, this is a good place to remind us that the story of the Bible is always looking forward. The story of the Bible is looking first to the cross where Christ died and was resurrected, overcoming sin and death and making a way for salvation. And then second, to the day when Christ will return, when he will gather his people, when he will make all things new and when all of these promises will be fulfilled. Trusting in God's word means that we see scripture like verse 22 through the lens of eternity. 
and we have a hope that even if this life doesn't offer us life, even if this life doesn't offer us help or health, we will continue to cling to God's word knowing that that day is coming. We walk with wisdom when we cling to the Father's word. Second, we walk with wisdom when we follow the Father's way. We follow the Father's way. Verses 23 through 27 lay out for us uh, what some commentators call the anatomy of righteousness, this picture of what the, of walking in righteousness looks like. The father has pointed his son to the path of wisdom and is now going to show his son what walking that path looks like. In other words, there is a way that walking with wisdom looks, and it's called righteousness. Walking in righteousness is important to the Father, and it's more important to God. It's how he has called us to live. It's important to remember that following the Father's way is our response to the gospel. It is not the cause of the gospel. So in other words, verses 24 through 27 aren't a checklist on how we can be saved. That work has been completed by Christ. And in God's kindness, he has empowers us through the Holy Spirit to walk with wisdom on the path of righteousness. And that's great news for us because not only is that, is that God's desire for us, it's where joy will be found for us. It's how we will glorify God. It's how we will honor him. It's how we worship God. And so we see that from verse 23 that following the Father's way begins in the heart. Look at verse 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. And Proverbs 4, 23 is probably one of the more familiar verses in the Bible. And contrary to what some may think, it's more than just a cliche dating phrase that we use, right? It speaks to a lot more than just how we approach dating. It has a huge impact on how we walk. And if we're going to understand the depth of what the Father is saying here, we need to have an understanding of what the Bible means when it talks about the heart. I think Paul Tripp is is really helpful here in giving us some understanding. And so there's a quote on the screen from a talk that he gave called Getting to the Heart of Your Words. Listen to what he says to help us get our hands around what the Bible means when it talks about the heart. What does the Bible mean when it uses the word heart? The Bible is essentially the Bible essentially divides you into two pieces, your outer man and your inner man. The outer man is your physical self. It's the house God has given you for your heart while you're here on earth. You could call your body your earth suit. The Bible uses many words for the inner man, mind, emotion, soul, spirit, will. And these words are all summarized by a big basket term, heart. And this term is almost a thousand is used in almost a thousand passages of scripture. It's one of the most well-developed themes in all of the Bible. When the Bible uses the term heart, it means the causal core of your personhood. The heart is your directional system. The heart is your steering wheel. I think that's a really helpful way to help us think about the heart. You know, I have uh, zero medical training, and I, I get nervous even talking about medical things with so many medical professionals in the room, but I think it's safe to say that just like the physical heart is the source of life for the physical body, so is the heart of the inner man. Everything that we think and feel and say and do flows from our heart. And that's why it's so crucial that the heart is guarded. 
which is totally against the, the message that we often hear, right? The, the message of culture, the message that we sometimes tell ourselves. We're constantly hearing that the heart should be followed, not guarded. And that's not very good advice, especially when you consider the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? And even scripture says that, that even though Christians have been given a new heart or a new steering wheel, as Paul Tripp would say, we are still tempted to drive like we used to drive. We are still tempted to walk in the ways that we used to walk, to follow the way that we used to follow. The father's, the father's instruction to the son is not to follow the heart, but to guard it because it is the source of life. Again, everything that we think, feel, say, or do is flowing from our heart. So when you think about guarding the heart, what are some of the things that come to mind? I know for me, uh, I remember a time in middle school, I was coming back from a, a camp, a church camp in middle school, and I'd been really convicted that I needed to do a better job of uh, guarding my heart. And for me, that took the form of a, some kind of weird ceremony in my backyard where I burned a bunch of secular CDs that I had. Um, and I'm still pretty bummed about that because I burned some really good music. I'm not sure why I thought that was the, the answer, but that's what I thought I needed to do to guard my heart. You know, our default may be to assume that guarding the heart is only about keeping things out. When you take verse 23 in light of what we have already read in verse 21, that we are to keep God's words in our heart, it's clear that guarding the heart is not just an act of keeping things out, but it also means that you, are guard, that you guard the truth that you have already been given. Now you think about every, uh, the beginning of every year when January, when people are working really hard to get their eating right, to exercise more, but, but specific on the eating, it's, can't, you can't just... Uh, not eat unhealthy food, right? You have to have healthy food in your body. You can't just not eat. You have to eat the right things. You have to keep the healthy food that is there, replacing the unhealthy. And Paul talks about this same thing in Colossians 3, getting rid of sin, but putting on righteousness, guarding what's already been given to us. If you are clinging to God's word, then there are going to be daily opportunities for you to guard what you already know to hold on to the promises of God's word when it seems like the odds are stacked against it. We are tempted daily to disregard the truth of God's word, to not believe what we already know to be true about God, to add a yeah but disclaimer to the truth of the gospel. But let me encourage you to not only cling to truth, but to store it in your heart and to guard it. Guard it by returning to it often. Guard it by examining the motives of your heart often. Guard it by preaching the gospel to yourself often. Reminding yourself of God's incredible mercy that has been extended to us through Jesus. And here's another plug for community. Guard it by being in relationships with other believers who will remind you of truth. Other believers who you can remind of truth. Guarding the truth that you have been given is a group effort. But guarding your heart also means that you are guarding against the lies that you are falsely promised. So on the same token, you will, always have, you will also have opportunities to resist false promises from the enemy. False promises about your identity. False promises about what God really thinks about you. False promises of what is going to give you satisfaction. 
False promises of what is going to bring you true joy outside of Christ. False promises that there is no hope for you and there is no victory for you over sin. Guarding your heart means combating these lies with truth from God's word and with other believers. But it also means thinking about and evaluating how the things that you read and scroll and listen to and watch are influencing you on the heart level. How are, they ref- how are they affecting your belief in truth and wisdom? Even as those things, even as those who have been given new hearts, we are still tempted to, by these false promises, and we must guard against them. Guard your heart above all else because it is the source of life. And because it's the source of life, looking at the condition of your heart can help you know if you're walking with wisdom. So the question then is how do we gauge or how can we gauge the condition of the heart? That's part of what verses 24 through 27 are helping us answer. The Father's instructions moves from the heart to some of the natural areas of overflow, the first places of outward expression. Essentially what the Father is laying out here is just a very practical heart check for the Son. And so on your worship guide, there's a list of four questions for you to think about and answer, sometime today, sometime this week, that will help give you an idea of what is really going on in the heart, in your heart. These are not exhaustive questions, um, but they do come directly from the text and can be helpful for us as we think about the heart and we think about how it is helping us to walk in wisdom. So the first question there, what am I saying? Look at verse 24, the first outplaying, don't let your mouth speak dishonestly, don't let your lips talk deviously. What you say matters to God. What you say has a direct connection to what's in the heart. And that's why what follows guarding the heart is the instruction to not speak dishonestly or deviously. And Jesus himself reminds us of this idea and why it's so important. Matthew 12, 34, the second half of verse 34, he says, The mouth speaks from an overflow of the heart. Because this is a heart checkup question, it's a heart check question. We're not really just trying to answer um, how we'd say where I I grew up, uh, am I cussing? All right, that's not the bar that we're measuring to see how is my speech doing, what am I saying? Uh, That kind of sets the bar pretty low. It's more about the heart behind the ways in which we speak. And so just a few uh, helpful follow-up questions related to that. In the last week, how have you talked to God? Your prayer life is a huge indicator of the condition of your heart. How have you talked to God? What are the kinds of conversations that you are having with your father? How have you talked to family, to friends? Have you been truthful? Have your words been life-giving? Have they been loving? What about with yourself? Are the things that you say and believe about yourself truthful according to God's word? Are you saying to yourself what God has said about you in his word? Are you believing lies? Are you preaching false hope? Are you speaking dishonestly about yourself or about God? To get real practical and personal, what about social media? What about the way that that you post on social media? Are you speaking honestly? Are you speaking truthfully? Are you speaking lovingly? Or are those things dishonest and devious? And if they are, what is that saying about the condition of the heart? Second question you can ask, where am I looking? And there's some really practical application here just in terms of what kinds of things you're allowing your eyes and ultimately your heart to consume. 
It is good and wise to keep your eyes from looking at anything that is going to cause you to sin. Say it's even vital to your soul. But notice that when the father addresses the eyes in verse 25, he addresses where the eyes should be looking. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. I think Hebrews 12 too adds some clarity to, to this, uh, to where exactly we should be looking. It says we are to be keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Where are you looking? Are you looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, or are you looking to yourself? Are you looking at others around you? Are you looking anywhere that's distracting you from setting your eyes to Christ? Just a a couple of ways to set our gaze on him. Ask for his help first thing in the morning. Upon waking up, even before grabbing the phone, asking God, help me to see you today. Help me to set my eyes and my mind and my heart on you today. Thinking about him without distraction. You know, we are so busy and constantly surrounded by noise, looking for uh, short, small opportunities, one, two, three minutes to reflect and to meditate on the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel, the, the goodness of God to us. Actively training your heart and mind to focus on Christ and his wisdom when you're tempted to focus on your own strength or your own failures. Set your eyes on Jesus and walk with him in wisdom. Third question to ask, where am I walking? And we can say that all of chapter four is about walking in the Christian life and walking in wisdom. And in the last two verses of chapter four, we're reminded again of the call to walk on the straight path. Look at verse 26. Consider carefully, or carefully consider the path for your feet. Walking with wisdom takes intentionality. It's not a default way of walking for us. As I heard Pastor Sean quote, recently growing in Jesus requires grace-enabled effort. This effort is not a means of gaining God's salvation or love or approval to us. That's already been accomplished through Jesus. But our effort to know and love God stirs our affections for him and brings us into the path of wisdom. So careful consideration of where we are walking leads to our ways being established according to verse 26. So just one simple practical approach. Choose a spiritual discipline, reading the Bible, prayer, fasting, stewardship, serving, uh, somewhere that you want to grow as a means to loving God more and choose one step that you can take this week to grow in that discipline. The final question that we want to ask, you can ask, is who am I trusting? Who am I trusting? In Proverbs 4, choosing the righteous path and walking with wisdom is the father's instruction to his son, and it is God's instruction to us. And although we chose not to walk with wisdom, the message of the gospel is that Jesus, the perfect son, did listen to the father's wise instruction. He did walk perfectly in the way of wisdom. And he did give up his life on our behalf so that that would be counted to our account. And any one of us who turns from our sins and trusts in him can be restored to a relationship with him. And his promise is that he will walk with us. He will not abandon us. He will not leave us or forsake us, but he will walk with us through wisdom for life. So we ask the question, who are we trusting? When it comes to walking the path of wisdom, who are you trusting to get you there? to see you through until the end. Are you trusting yourself? Are you trusting your feelings? Are you trusting other people? Are you trusting our culture? 
all of those will fail you. In fact, all of those have already failed you. But Jesus, God in human flesh, the one who will never fail you and the source of all wisdom invites us to surrender to him, to trust him, and to walk with him in wisdom for life.